service to Brother Aaron tonight. We don't want him to go. We don't want him to slip away. Constrain him tonight to minister to our hearts. How many would desire the great king just come by our way? I say stay. I don't want you to go. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, the desire of our heart, Lord, is that you would stay. Lord, that you would stay by our side, that you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, that we could always feel you near us, Lord, know that you're there. Lord, this wonderful presence. Lord, how we love you and how we long to worship you, Lord. Lord, like Brother Jeremy saying, Lord, not just some form of worship, Lord. I'm sorry for if we've ever made it just some form. But, Lord, tonight may we come back to you, the true heart of worship, Lord, what it's all about. Lord, may we recognize our own unworthiness and lay aside our own rags, Lord, and look unto you, Lord. Lord, for one thing we know is the only way we're leaving here is with that token, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that you'll take control of this service now. Speak through my lips, Father. Lord, may it be delivered, Lord, in in the way which it was given. Just help me to get out of the way. Lord, that your will be done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read from Genesis 12 and 1. Genesis 12 and 1. We'll read through verse 3. Then we'll let you have your seat before we read in several other places. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Amen. You have your seats tonight. We just pray the Lord will add his blessings to the reading of the word. And we're also going to read from Genesis 15 and 3. And then also a portion in Genesis 17. Genesis 15, 3 says, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and... And and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. Skipping down to verse 18. It says, "In in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed have I given this land. From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And also I'm going to read in Genesis 17 and and verse 1. Genesis 17 and 1. It says, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. 
And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger in all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Amen. Amen. This thought tonight. Uh, I hope I can convey it properly as we go through it. It's not meant to, to be attacking or even cutting, um, but to serve as a warning or, or an admonition not to be satisfied with being a message believer, not to be satisfied and not to ever rest on our on our works, not to take um, our calling for granted and not not to rest even in that we are a chosen people. Not to rest in that, but to always be seeking more and looking for more, always seeking more revelation, always seeking another outpouring. Because one thing to me that is a sure sign that you have been called and chosen and had an experience with God is that you're looking for more and you're seeking for more. Amen. So tonight I'd like to speak to us for a little while on the expectations of Pharisees, the expectations of of Pharisees and and the call of God to Abraham right here and and God's covenant starting right here in chapter 12 seems to be a a great um, mark. It marks a great turning in the scriptures because back in chapter three of Genesis, we see the fall and 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 from verse from chapter three all the way to chapter 11, humanity is depicted in an almost continual spiral towards sin. So from chapter 3 to verse 11, it's this downward spiral. But here in chapter 12, we have an introduction of God's plan for a path to redemption. Amen. And I'm so glad that that path is established and that the covenant with Abraham is established. And, and in these interactions, these three different interactions that we looked at, we, we see details of the covenant began to emerge. Abraham is going to be blessed. A great nation will come out of thee. Kings will come out of thee. I will give thee a land. I will be a God unto thee and thy seed after thee. And I will save thee and thy seed after thee. And Brother Branham says here, God called Abraham out of what that whole world of people. Why? Because Abraham was better? No, sir. It's grace. God's chosen election and call. You are what you are because the grace of God has made you what you are. Who taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Is that right? It's by grace. Amen. I'm thankful for that tonight, that it's grace. It's amazing grace. It's nothing that I can do, nothing that you can do, but God called, God chose, God elected. And tonight I say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that amazing grace. Amen. Amen. When my nature was against God, he called me. When I was alienated from God without hope, he called me. It was nothing I did, but he said, that one is mine. And tonight I'm thankful for that call. Amen. Abraham, we see, was no better than anyone, and God called him and made his covenant with him unconditional. 
What grace? What grace to make it unconditional because God took it upon himself that I'm going to make this covenant and I'm going to keep this covenant because we found out early on you cannot rely on man. Time after time, man would break the covenant. Man would fall away from the covenant. Man would forget the covenant. But God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make thee a great nation. I'm going to bless thee. It was all about what he was going to do. He didn't put it on me and he didn't put it on you. So tonight we can have faith that this is God's word. It's God's covenant. He's going to bring it to pass in our lives tonight. Amen. He was determined, I will save man. Because man couldn't do it. Man couldn't keep it. Man would forget it. But God wouldn't. Amen. That's why tonight that we can have faith because it's not our covenant. It's not Brother Tim's covenant. It wasn't even Brother Branham's covenant. It's God's covenant. This is God's word. Amen. He said, I will make of thee a great nation. I will establish my covenant between me and thee. He said, unto thy seed have I given this land. He said, a father of many nations have I made thee. He said, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Well, how am I going to do this, Lord? I I don't even have a son. How how is this going to be possible? How, How am I going to accomplish all that? You're not Abraham. I am. I am. Oh, how am I going to overcome in Laodicea? How am I going to do this? He said, I'll have a church without spot or wrinkle. How are we going to do it? How are we not going to do it? We're not going to do it. It's his covenant. He said, I am. I'm going to bring it to pass. I will have a church. I will have a bride. I will give you victory. I will give you the Holy Ghost. I will bring a body change. It's him doing the work tonight. You're not going to have to do this. I am. Amen. Man couldn't do it, never could do it. Always would break the covenant. So he called and he chose and he elected and he said, these are my people and I will bless them and I will keep them. Many times throughout history, we look in the Old Testament and we see that they would fall, but they were still his people. Oh, that gives me faith tonight. That gives me encouragement tonight. They would fall, but they were still his people. Sometimes they were slaves, but they were still chosen. Sometimes they were in a wilderness, but they were still his. They were still called and they were elected. Sometimes you're in a wilderness. Sometimes you're in a battle. Sometimes you don't know which way is up, but you're still called. You're still chosen. You're still elected. You're still his. Your trial isn't changing that tonight. Whatever you're going through isn't changing that tonight. You are the called, the chosen. You are the covenant people of Jehovah tonight. You are called to it and you're chosen and he's the one holding us. Amen. Many times, even in their struggles, maybe they forgot. Maybe in their beatings and their whippings in Egypt, maybe they forgot. In the wilderness, they would forgot, but he didn't forget. He said, I have remembered my covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob, and I have come down to bring them up. And what did it all, brother Aaron? It was grace. Marvelous grace, amazing grace. Brother Brown says, watch. When he called Abraham here, he called him by election. Not because he was, but because God was. And he called him out of his people and blessed him and told him, I'm going to save you. Oh my, that's wonderful about Abraham. That's wonderful about Abraham. All the promises he gave to Abraham. 
Galatians 3.29, And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everything he said about Abraham, he said about you. He said to you and to your seed, I'm going to be a God to them. Has he been a God to us tonight? Has he been faithful? Has he seen us through? Has he fulfilled every promise? Because this covenant is God's covenant. Amen. The same promise that he gives to Abraham, he gives to you, the royal seed of Abraham. And he says, I have remembered. Oh, that makes me feel good tonight. I have remembered. I haven't forgot you in your situation. I haven't forgot you in the trial. I haven't forgot my promise of a rapture. I haven't forgot my promise of healing. I haven't forgot my promise of a body change. I haven't forgot you where you're at, but I am come down. Hallelujah. And just like Israel, sometimes we may be sick, but we're still chosen. Sometimes we may be in a dry place, but we're still called. Sometimes we're in a great battle, but I'm still his tonight. Earthly circumstance and temporary circumstance do not change eternal things. I am an eternal being. Seen before the foundation of the world, my name was written on the Lamb's book of life. I'm called. I'm chosen. I'm elected. I'm going to make it because these temporary circumstances do not change eternal things. The covenant remains true. We can rejoice tonight in that calling. We can rejoice tonight in that choosing. I can rejoice tonight that I have nothing to do with it. That is the best part about it because I would mess it up. But I have nothing to do with it. Abraham had nothing to do with it. It is elective love. It is elective love. Brother Brown says, so now it's by grace that God called you. Not what you did, what you could do, what you will do. If you're the seed of Abraham, God spoke to you by his amazing grace, just like he did Abraham in the 12th chapter of Genesis. And as Abraham was called by grace, by election, so was his seed called by grace and election. And when God does this, when God begins to move on a heart, and when God begins to call and comes into covenant with you, just like with Abraham, God calls for separation. He calls for a separation in your life, separation from the world, separation from sin and separation from unbelief. And and as we follow the journey of Israel, we'll see a people called to be separate, just as we are called, be ye separate. Israel was called to separate and they are separated. They don't worship like other nations do. They don't live like other nations live. Things that are acceptable in the world is not acceptable in Israel, amen? They don't live like other nations because there is a real and a living God in their midst. They live to please him and he goes before them and he blesses them in battle. And the whole of Israel is very aware of a living God. They are very aware of the supernatural. The supernatural is not foreign to Israel. They've witnessed the plagues on Egypt They've seen the waters part. They've seen the walls fall down just at the sound of a trumpet. They've seen God go before them in battle. Elijah and Elisha have walked among them. The miraculous and the supernatural isn't foreign to them. Wherever Israel has gone, the supernatural has been present. The pillar of fire has been amongst them. Signs and wonders has been there, whether it was in Egypt, whether it was in the wilderness, whether it was in Canaan, whether it was in Israel or down in Babylon. 
The supernatural was always present with Israel. Come on, somebody. The supernatural should always be present with the royal seed of Abraham. It doesn't matter that we're in Laodicea. It doesn't matter that we're in tough conditions. It doesn't matter that we're in the lion's den. The pillar of fire was there. The supernatural was always there. And they were acquainted and familiar with it. And God blesses them and keeps them even in their failures because they're his people. They're his people. Can't you see yourself there tonight? Can't you relate to what we're talking about with wilderness experiences, dry times, hard battles, great trials? But he was there with you all the time because we're his people. He was there leading the way through it all. God has been there providing. Through it all, he's been there leading. Through it all, he's been making a way. Through it all, he's been healing the sick, been restoring families, filling with the Holy Ghost. It's an evil time, but my God is still moving. My God is still on the scene. My God is still here in Laodicea because we are his people. He's never left us. Israel was the covenant people. Called, chosen, blessed. And they had a promise of a Messiah. Scriptures that spoke of him. The prophets declared him. They were wanting to see him. But somewhere in the waiting. Somewhere in the waiting for the coming of the Lord. Somewhere in the waiting for the Messiah. Somewhere in the studying and the teaching and the learning. The expectations of what God would do and how God would act and how these scriptures would be fulfilled got all twisted up. They got disjointed and they got misinterpreted and they got misplaced. Things that Brother Brown said we can never do. And they weren't studying to be bad people. They weren't reading the prophet to be bad people. They loved God. They worshiped God. They lived good lives. But somewhere in the waiting, their expectations got off. How would God move? How does God operate? What's he going to do when he comes on the scene? Somewhere in the waiting, it all became intellectual. It, came, it became about how well you could quote the prophets. It became about how holy you could live. About how good you could be. And God's chosen people became arrogant in their choosing. They became arrogant in their calling. Listen, sometimes we get to the point that we're arrogant in our calling, not even, not even so much as we're in the messenger and you're not, but sometimes even in conversation of, oh, well, this happened and this, oh, well, what church do they go to? Oh, that, yeah, okay. You are who you are and you are where you are by God's calling and God's choosing. If you are anything or you overcome anything, it is God that has done it. If your eyes are open, it's God that has done it. If you're saved, it's God that has done it. We have no reason to be arrogant. If anything, we should be on our knees each and every day. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Why me, Lord? I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. It's so wonderful. Lord, of all the people you could have chose, you chose me. I had nothing to do with it. I was worthless. I'm a worm, but you chose me. You chose me. Instead of grace and mercy, instead of an incredible feeling of wonder and thanks that God would choose, it became, <clears throat> we are God's chosen people. 
we are better than you. God will come to us and us alone and he will only work here and in our temple and in our synagogues. Listen, it should thrill our hearts each and every day that we are called. It should thrill our hearts that we are chosen. We should never lose the wonder of it, the joy of it, the excitement of it, the thanksgiving of it. We can never allow it to turn into entitlement. Well, God's going to take care of me because I'm God's chosen people. Well, God's not going to let anything happen to me. I'm the bride, and, and I can't be wrong. I can't see things wrong. Apparently, you can. You're seeing it wrong already. We can't allow it to turn into an entitlement, looking down our nose at others. Because as we said, if we are anything, it's all him. If we are anything, it's all grace. And yet through this time of the waiting and waiting on the Messiah to come on the, come on the scene, they became entitled. And they bound themselves tight in traditions. They took truths from the word and used it to bind. Anytime the word is used to bind anything other than the devil, it is being misused. If you take the word and use it against your brother, it is being misused. You take the word and use it to bind worship in the house of God, it is being misused. The only thing we should be binding with the word is the devil. Binding evil spirits, binding sickness, binding the pornography that runs rampant, binding depression, binding anxiety, loosing the people of God. Not using the word of God to bind the people of God. But they began to use it to bind not only themselves, but others. And it became all about the law and not the one who gave the law. It became about the rules. It became about the rituals. It became about the traditions. And they weren't really looking for the Messiah anymore. Maybe they said they were. They said they were looking for a Messiah, but they had become comfortable in their life of rules and traditions and holiness and piety. They had become comfortable in that feeling like they had done enough. Comfortable in their calling, comfortable in their choosing, comfortable that we're God's people. And they began to settle down to where they weren't really seeking the Messiah anymore. They were just looking to live their life according to traditions. Be good, be holy, be kind. Do what the prophet said. Brother Aaron, these don't sound like bad things. They're not. They're wonderful things. They're awesome things. Be good. Be kind. Do what the prophet said. Live according to the law of Moses. But what I see lacking in all that is where is the supernatural? Where did they get away from the God that, 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 that rained down plagues on Egypt? Where did they get away from the God that opened the Red Sea? Where did they get away from the God that fed them manna and the rock that followed them in the wilderness? Where did they get away from that God to where they no longer expected those things to happen and their expectations became cold? Their expectations became formal. Their expectations became tradition. Their expectation became Wednesday and Sunday church. When did it change? In the waiting for the Messiah. In the delay. As they waited for him to come. They had seen him move on their behalf time after time. But at some point they quit expecting God to move like that anymore. 
At some point, it became all about the word. Oh, Brother Aaron, that's a dangerous statement. We'll get there. I have quotes for it. It became all about the word. Study the word. Live the word. Study the word. Study the word. Get in the word. I can put a pen through a scroll and tell you what words it hit. Because I study the word. I study the word. It's all about the word. At some point, it became all about the prophet's message. What do you mean? Where you want the message, but not the fulfillment of that message. They didn't want the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They wanted the Old Testament. And we got people that love the quotes, and they love the tapes, and they love the books, but they don't want the fulfillment of the message. They don't want the message with skin on it. But I'm here to declare it's too bad because here we are. This is the fulfillment of the message. You are the message. This is what it was called to produce. Jesus again on the earth. They didn't like him showing up then. They don't like you showing up now. But here we are. It's too late. We are the fulfillment. It came off the pages. It came off the tapes. And here it is. I'm sorry if I disappoint you. You don't always just make me thrilled either. But here we are. It is what it is. Somebody has to fulfill the word. At some point it just became going to synagogue. And believe God sent a prophet. Know the mysteries. Claim the message. Live clean and holy. And you're going in a rapture. I hate to tell you but that's not the truth. That's not the truth. But brother Aaron, aren't all those things good things? Yes. They're wonderful things. But somewhere in our waiting, our expectations have gotten off. I want to tell you tonight, he still moves the way he's always moved. He still heals the way he's always healed. He still saves the way he always saved. And he still fills with the baptism of the Holy Ghost the way he always has. And that is the expectation of the bride. We're not stopping short of the new birth. What do we got to have? The new birth, the Holy Ghost, the token. And without it, you are lost. But I live the rules. I listen to the tapes. I come to church. I worship. I'm glad you do. But are you born again? Have you had the new birth? Have you had that experience? That is our expectation. Nothing short of that. Anything less than that is the expectation of the Pharisees. It's not, it's, it's not to be our expectation isn't to be just, just a good life. Our expectation isn't to be that we're just different from others. Our expectation isn't, isn't satisfied in God called me. You're not saved in your calling. Are you born again? Brother Brown says, certainly those Pharisees and Sadducees, why they know more about the word than any of our scholars will ever know. But they didn't know Jesus. He says, to know the word is not life. I'm going to say that again. To know the word is not life. This is your prophet. To know your catechisms is not life. 
To know your church doctrine is not life, but to know him is life. Do you know him, the prophet says. And I echo that tonight. Do you know him? I'm not asking do you believe the message. I'm not asking are you a good person. I'm not asking how much you come to church. I'm asking you, do you know him tonight? Do you know Jesus? Have you met him for yourself? Have you had the new birth? That is our expectation. That is our calling. That is our victory. The new birth. John 3 and 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We have to keep our expectations right. The expectation isn't just good kids. The expectation isn't just good morals and good homes. The expectation is when Jesus comes, lives are changed. There is a new birth and there is a life that is filled with the Holy Ghost. But I'll tell you where the problem is. The problem comes from the top down. The people's expectations are wrong because it ain't preached right. It's from the top down. If we don't preach the new birth, if we don't preach the supernatural, then how can we blame the people when they don't accept it, when they don't have it? I'll tell you the problem is a lot of weak pulpits. It is our responsibility to declare truth. You will not make it without the new birth. You must have the experience. You must meet him for yourself. You must be sealed with the Holy Ghost. God does still move like he always did. He still fills. He still heals. He still delivers. He is the same. May it always be declared in this church. May it always be declared from this pulpit. You will be without excuse because we're here to tell you he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we don't preach the supernatural in our midst, then we don't expect it. Then we don't get it. And we miss it. Preachers, dads, moms, leaders, What are our expectations? What are we striving to see in our lives? What is it that you want to see in your children's lives? What are your expectations for this service tonight? What did you expect when you came here? Or did you even give it a thought? Have you slipped into the Pharisaic mindset of we're just going to church? This is what we do. Did you even think about the service? Or are you here just because it's Wednesday and that's what we do? I'm thankful for that because there's a lot of people that this is Wednesday and it's what we do and they didn't show up. At least you got them beat today. I had to be here. No, I'm kidding. Sure, we come to church. It is what we do. Sure, it, it is. We're coming no matter what. But we should come with expectations. We should come expecting something from God. Are you expecting him to move tonight? Are you expecting the rapture to come tomorrow? Are you expecting it? Are you expecting a new birth? What do we, and here's where we can look at our expectations. Where have we gotten to where, what is it that allows us to classify someone as a believer? Because they accept that God sent a prophet? Oh, are they? Have we lowered our expectations? What is a Christian? What is an overcomer? Have we allowed those things to fall off? We said, where did Israel get off? 
I say, where did we get off? Where did our expectations change? In the waiting. In the waiting. Listen, at Pentecost, they knew that they had to be endued from power, with power from on high. In the first age, they knew that they had to be born again. And they expected it, and they got it. But even there, that was the expectation in the first age, but even there, somewhere they allowed the expectations to change in that first age. It became about church attendance. It became about a form of godliness. Coldness crept in. Services became formal. Ceremony, form, rituals, and works took the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't let our expectation change. Don't let our standards come down. God still moves. God still requires the token. And if God still requires the token, I'm here to tell you, He still gives the token. He doesn't require something that He won't give you. He requires it, but He's here tonight going, yes, I require it. Yes, you'll never make it without it. But here I am saying, you can have it. It's yours. I still pour it out. I still move in services just like this. I still take somebody that's been sitting there 25 years and sitting on a bench cold and formal and fill them with the Holy Ghost. I still do it. When did it become a dress code and a list of rules and hyper-legalism? When did it become just know the word? Listen, Israel's expectations had lowered and it was no longer a, a living God. But it just became a God of the prophets from days gone by. And now we just have to try to live holy. Just try to live according to what the scripture says. And in all that they miss him. And all that, he walks right amongst them, and they miss him. How many times can he walk right amongst us and we miss him? Because we're not expecting him. You know how it is when you're not expecting company, and all of a sudden somebody bangs on the door. Who is that? Who's coming? My house ain't ready. Ain't nothing. Everything's in disarray. I mean, not at my house. I'm just talking about, like, y'all's house. You know how it is. But if you're expecting him to move, then you recognize, here he comes. I see him coming down the driveway. I already got it ready. I'm waiting for him. I'm opening the door up. Come on in. Come on and move on my life. Move on my heart in this service. Deliver me tonight. Move for my family tonight. Well, how come stuff's always happening for this one and that one? They're expecting it to happen. And they open the front door and they say, come in and move in my life. Come in and move in my home. And so guess what? He does it. He does it because they expect him to. It's not a hope so. They're looking for him. They became so sure of their calling. So arrogant that they were chosen. So confident in their superb knowledge. Their knowledge of the word that they couldn't be taught. I mean, what revelation could you give them? Think about what could you have told a Pharisee? Imagine trying to witness to one. You could not have said anything that he didn't either A, correct you, or B, say, yeah, I know that. 
That's exactly what it says. What revelation could you give them? What supernatural could persuade them? They didn't need the supernatural because they had the word. Brother Brown says when Jesus came, he was just as fundamental as the Pharisees. Listen to this. The Pharisees couldn't believe it, but Jesus was fundamental. But there were signs and wonders following his ministry where the Pharisees had the word just the same as he had. Now, the Pharisees were off. No, they weren't off. Matter of fact, they were spot on. They had the word just the same as he had. But it's a spiritual revelation. And they couldn't be led. When people become so supremely confident in their works. So supremely confident in their knowledge. When they are confident that there is nothing outside their interpretation. Then they reject the leadership of the spirit. Because we've got it figured out. We live so holy. Look, I haven't cut my hair since I was born. My skirts touched the floor. I've never said a curse word. I pray three times a day. I've never missed a service. And are you born again? That's what I want to know. I don't care about your works. Now, if you're born again, the works will follow. He says, and the first time that the church lets their leaders take over to lead the people, the Holy Spirit gets right away from them. And the very first time that you go being led by man instead of God, the Holy Spirit will get away from you too. Let the Holy Spirit lead. That's what we need is leadership. And God gave us a leader and we don't hear it. Listen, revelation is of the utmost importance. Brother Branham deals with it a lot in the church age book where he says you could never pray too much for revelation. You could never ask for too much revelation because your knowledge won't do it. I don't care how much you read, how much you study, how many sermons you listen to, you will never even be in the same ballpark with the Pharisees. You would not even be able to sit down and have an intelligent religious conversation with them. And what good did it do them? Because there was no spirit and there was no revelation. Brother Brown says, no one can doubt, but the scribes and Pharisees and the great scholars of the year 33 AD knew the exact laws of grammar and the exact meaning of the words in which the Old Testament was written. But for all their superb knowledge, they missed the revelation of God's promised word manifested in the Son. There he was set forth from Genesis to Malachi. With whole chapters devoted to him and his ministry. And yet except for a few who were illuminated by the spirit. They missed him entirely. And tonight the Holy Spirit's trying to illuminate you and say. Don't go the way of the Pharisees. Called. So were the Pharisees. They were. They were the covenant people and they knew it. Called, chosen, God's people, covenant people, supreme knowledge, holy life, and missed it. 
and we want to point to our righteousness and how good we live and why we're better than somebody else in the church because of their struggles and their ups and their failures. You know, we often look at the Pharisees as the bad guys when we read the, the Bible because of what we read about them in the New Testament. And truly, they're not the protagonist of the story. There's, there's no doubt. As it, as it relates to, to Jesus and, and his crucifixion, yes, they are the bad guys. But to me, they serve as a great cautionary story because of how close they are to us. Oh, and they're the bad guys. As a matter of fact, you are of your father, the devil. And yet how close they are in the parallels that you can see between them and us. We are the covenant people, royal seed of Abraham. And listen, I believe we will not fall. The prophet of God said we're predestinated not to fall. But we can't sit back in the, well, we're called and we're chosen, so we're going to make it attitude. No, sir. That's not the attitude. The attitude is I will take more today. I will progress more today. I will learn more today. I will be revelated more today. I will seek more of the Holy Spirit today. Not I'm called and chosen. So here we go. We can't settle because we're chosen. And I want to look at the Pharisees for, for a minute a little closer. Maybe we can get a different idea about who they were. Just be a little historical for a second. They were the covenant people, and they knew it. They could even look at the, our opening scriptures that we read tonight and see who they were and that they were God's people. The Pharisees emerged around 150 BCE and promoted the idea of priestly purity for all Jews. They believed that their life and their worship to God should extend beyond the temple. They did not believe in Sunday, Wednesday religion. They believed you should live for God each and every day, not just in the temple. That holiness and piety wasn't just for the priest, but it was for everyone, even the common people. Man, these guys sound terrible, don't they? The Pharisees were of the common people. The Pharisees included people of all classes and all professions. Pharisees were, in a sense, blue-collar Jews who adhered to such things as individual prayer and assembling themselves together in synagogues. I can't disagree with them on anything yet. This put them at great odds with the Sadducees, who were comprised of priests and social elites and were responsible for maintaining the temple. They believed that temple worship was all that mattered. So already the Pharisees got to step up on the Sadducees as far as I'm concerned. Sadducees just says, as long as you sacrifice, you can live how you want, do what you want, don't matter. This is all that matters. That was their attitude. They were elitist who wanted to maintain the priestly caste. But they were also liberal, talking about the Sadducees, in their willingness to incorporate Hellenism into their lives. Hellenism was Greek culture. They were all about bringing the culture of the world into the church. The very rise of the Pharisees was to combat the Greek effort to Hellenize the Jews. In other words, to make the Jews conform to the modern culture. That's the very reason that, that, that people stood up and said, we're not going to take this. 
This is not what we're about because all the Jews began to love Greek culture and they were quickly giving over to it. They were accepting pagan rituals. They were worshiping many gods just like the Greeks and the Sadducees were just going along with it. The Sadducees were just living this lukewarm kind of life, letting the world creep in, acting like the world, worshiping like the world, living like the world. And a group began to rise up that saw corruption in the temple. They saw corruption in the worship. They saw lives that were slipping away from a true dedication to Jehovah. And they said, we must stand for truth. We can't stand for this. This isn't what God called us to be. God called us to be separated. God called us to be holy. God called us not to fit in with the world. And they said, we're going to stand for truth no matter what the cost. No matter if society kicks us out. No matter what we have to give up. If we're rejected, we will not go with this modern Greek culture. And they stood for truth. And they looked to the covenant. And the God, when God made the covenant, he told Abraham, separate. And so they looked there and they saw that. And they point back to the original, back to Abraham. And they recognize this isn't how Abraham lived. He separated. And they become known as Pharisees, which comes from the word parisha, which means Separated ones. These were the people who stood for truth. They were the outcast who wouldn't go with the world. And they stood up and said, no. Abraham was a separated one. We're going to be separated ones. What terrible people. They began to teach the importance of staying in the word. Of all the sects of Judaism, they alone remain separated from the ways of foreign influence invading their lives and religious practice. The Pharisees also maintained that there was an afterlife. The Sadducees did not believe in any afterlife whatsoever. The Pharisees taught there is a, rex- there, there is a resurrection. There is an afterlife. He taught that God punished, they, taught, they taught that God punished the wicked and rewarded the righteous in the world to come. They also believed in a coming Messiah, which the Sadducees did not. They studied and read and prayed so much that they gained the reputation of being experts in the law. It wasn't what they were trying to do. They were just in the word so much. So that was the reputation that they gained. They began to see themselves as experts in the law. And over time, in the waiting, in their stand for truth, in the holding out for the Messiah... They began to trust in their goodness, in their holiness. You better not be trusting in your holiness tonight. You better not be trusting in your goodness tonight. You better not be trusting in how clean you live. You better not be making this message about do's and don'ts. Because you can never compare to the goodness and the holiness of the Pharisees. You'll never touch them. Brother Brown says, you may be a member of a church. That don't mean one thing. You say, well, I live a good, clean life. That still don't mean one thing to God. Who could be any cleaner? Who could be any more holy speaking than those Pharisees was in that day? They were blameless. Blameless. Brother Brown says, as far as holiness, why they would make the holiness church today feel ashamed of themselves when it come to holiness. They really had to live holy. They lived separated, consecrated lives. 
So I tell you tonight that if righteousness was all that God required, the Pharisees would be first in line. The Pharisees would have it over on all of us. They held on and they held on and they believed and they fought for the truth and they stood for righteousness. Brother Brown says those Pharisees believed in many things to be the truth. Now here's the turn. They said we are God's children. Brother Brown says and they were. Until that word was preached. But when that word was preached and vindicated, then they become sinners for rejecting the thing that they knowed was right and witnessed it. We know that ought to teach or come from God for no man can do the things that you do without God being with you. The Pharisees were far from being wrong. As a matter of fact, they were right until they rejected him. You can be as right as you want to be in your doctrine. You can know every seal and every church age and every mystery. But if you reject the new birth, you're a sinner. They had the truth. They were fighting to protect the truth. Then why did they fight against Jesus? Because it wasn't what they expected. It was contrary to their interpretation of what the prophet had said. Notice it wasn't contrary to what the prophet said. It was contrary to the interpretation that they felt that the, that the prophet had said. And their entire attack against Jesus was a desire to protect the truth. And in their desire to protect the people and protect the truth and stand for the word, they fought against the very thing they had to have. Oh, we see it all the time. In a desire to protect the people. In a desire, we don't want any, any wildfire loose in the church. We don't want any moving of the spirit. We don't want any of those gifts. In a desire to protect the people just in case. What if it isn't? What if it isn't real? What if it's this? And they're afraid of the very thing they need to bring life into the church. They become afraid of the new birth. And the very thing that they have to have, they fight against. The very thing that gives them a chance to overcome this world. That gives them opportunity to rapture. They fight against it. They stand for the truth. They fight for the truth. And they're scared of the new birth. And get so scared of the moving of the spirit. So scared. So scared of everything. That they, shh. We've got to protect the people. Scared that the supernatural might be out of place. Listen, they will never deny that the supernatural operated in Brother Branham's ministry. They will never deny the supernatural of the past. And yet question every single aspect of the supernatural in the now. Well, I don't know about all that, Brother Aaron. I don't know if all that's necessary. Just stay with the word. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They just stayed with the word. According to, to the rabbis, to disbelieve any miracle recognized as such in the Old Testament. Now hear me. To disbelieve any miracle recognized as such in the Old Testament, according to the Pharisees, Incurred the greatest possible punishment, which was the loss of one's portion in the world to come. If you disbelieved or doubted one of the miracles recorded in the Old Testament, doubted or disbelieved your portion in the next world was wiped away. My goodness. They believed in that supernatural. However, disbelief in a post-biblical miracle, which for them was post-Old Testament, Incurs no punishment at all. 
Oh, that spirit's never died. Oh, yeah. The, you better believe that those miracles in Brother Branham's day were the truth. Absolutely, that was the truth. You better believe God used to do that. You better believe he used to do that. But if you don't believe he does it today, that's okay. No big deal. But you better believe back then. You better believe God could. You better believe God used to. Well, could and used to does me no good. I need God right now. And I believe he still does. He still will. And he still is doing the same thing tonight that he did back there. I choose to believe right now for my life right here in this moment. Why would I want to choose to believe he no longer does it? He still does it. It says for the religious leaders of the day. A supernatural feat, no matter how impressive, would not have any sway in a religious discussion. No wonder that they didn't care what Jesus did. No matter how great the miracle, it would have no sway in a religious discussion. Whenever miracles made their appearance, trying to interfere with legal matters of the Talmud, they were, for the most part, rejected. Notice they didn't care that the man got healed. They were just mad that he was healed on the Sabbath. The miracle didn't matter. You messed with the law. The manifestation that he, that he says, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee didn't matter. You did it on the wrong day. Well, I don't care that people got healed in that prayer line. Did you see how they acted? People getting filled. Yeah, people got the Holy Ghost. But did you see those people running all over the building, shouting and screaming? I know people got delivered. But are we supposed to act like that in church? You Pharisee. People gaining eternal life and you want to nitpick the service that they got it in. Instead of praising God and saying, thank you, Jesus, that you saved somebody. Thank you, Jesus, that you healed somebody. Thank you, Jesus, that you delivered somebody. Let our expectations be of a God that still moves and still operates and still heals and still delivers. What are our expectations for a service? What are we wanting when we gather? How, how much are we willing to let God move when it's outside your understanding or interpretation of what church order is? The Pharisees' expectations of how the Messiah would conduct himself hindered them from being able to receive him. Well, the Messiah wouldn't do this. Well, the Messiah wouldn't do that. And they sure didn't like the way people worshipped when the Messiah came around. Pharisees will always be the one saying, tell the people to hold their peace. And Jesus said, if the people hold their peace, that the rocks will cry out. Listen to what Brother Brown says. That's the way today when the congregation is gathered together, that foreshadow of his appearing, the Holy Spirit begin to breathe on them. They see those signs and wonders performed of the Holy Spirit. They can't hold their peace. Something is going to cry out. Why were they so against the shouting? Why were they so against the yelling? Because they didn't recognize him as God. Had they recognized that it was God, they would have acted the same way. Why are people so against that shouting and running and dancing and screaming in the house of God? They don't recognize it's the Holy Spirit in our midst. 
If they did, they would do the same thing. I know we've covered it. We've covered we're not all going to act and worship exactly the same. I understand that. But you would worship with all your heart. How about that? There's no way that right now you could truly believe that Jesus Christ is in this room and not be all in. If you're not all in, it's because you don't believe he's here. Brother Brown says, certainly it is. Now listen, some people say it's just all emotion. Brother Brown says, certainly it is. It's something present, and it is true that when the Holy Ghost comes down, it stirs the crowd to emotion. So you are exactly right. It is all emotion. Now let's get into why it's all emotion. Because the Holy Spirit has come down, and it has stirred the crowd to emotion. They're sitting there anointed with the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost sweeps across them. It stirs emotions. It's got to. He said it's got to. So if you sit there emotionless all the time, I don't know what you're going to do with that. Because he says when the Holy Spirit moves on you, it's got to stir your emotions I had a guy tell me one time after a service it, I don't even got to describe it to you it's one of those services you know what I'm talking about one of those services it got free up, up in here and afterwards he says well I didn't feel anything like everybody else was feeling obviously I, I watched them running and jumping and shouting. I didn't feel a thing I mean it was a good service and all but I didn't feel nothing well certainly you didn't I wouldn't expect you to Because you were viewing Jesus coming through the building the same way the Pharisees viewed him coming in riding on the colt. You didn't recognize he was in the building. You approached it the same way as they did. In order to feel, let me tell you something. In order to feel it, you've got to be in the spirit of worship like the ones who were shouting Hosanna. Brother Branham says this, listen. God likes to be worshipped. And when you worship him, it just isn't exactly singing a song as we do. But singing it in the spirit of worship, you see. And then you feel the Holy Spirit bounce back. Well, I never feel anything. Well, then I ask you, how are you worshipping? Then you feel the Holy Spirit bounce. Listen, we spent a lot of time a few weeks ago, and I'm about to be bringing this to a close, but we spent a lot of time a few weeks ago talking about how it ain't in the running, jumping, shouting, dancing, that none of that meant you were saved. I'm going to jump on the other side for just a minute. You're perfectly clean, pious, and holy, perfect church attendance. Life doesn't mean you're saved either. You must be born again. Bringing this down. Just because you believe the message, you're not saved. Because you live clean, because you live holy and righteous. Listen, your humility, this is one that people love. They're so humble. That person's so humble. Your humility means nothing. I read a quote today. If you want to look it up, you can. It is there. Where Brother Branham said the Pharisees were twice as humble as Jesus was. 
They're so humble. And? Good, I guess. Are you born again? That's the question. That's what matters. Yes, if you're born again, there will come humility to your life. I, I believe that. Listen, I'm in no way advocating for loose living. I'm in no way advocating that you shouldn't do all these things. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to be that he is now on the inside of me. And he is living this out of me. He is overcoming through me. It's his righteousness. It's his holiness. It's not some manufactured holiness. Manufactured. Come on now. Put on that you put on yourself. It's got to be him living in you doing the works out of you. Because if it's just you doing the works and there's been no experience, there's been no new birth, you are lost and bound for hell. I know it's rough, but it's truth anyway. Look, I, 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 like I said, I don't ever want to promote, promote loose living. I'm thankful for correct doctrine. I'm thankful for the, for, for the parameters in the word that plainly declare what pleases God. And I believe as Christians, we should try to please God. We should try our best. What are you saying? The same thing I said a couple weeks ago that you can't rest in the jump and the, and the shout. You can't rest in your works. You can't rest in how long your skirts are or how long your hair is or boys that you don't tell bad jokes and that you read your Bible. You can't rest in those things. The only thing you can rest in is I've got the token. I've got the new birth. I'm ready to go. I'm going home. I'm part of the covenant. That's what you can put your rest in. Skip down some of this. Brother Branham says, hang on, let me back up a little bit. You know, many times when people are real legalistic, it causes them to judge other people pretty harshly. Well, we don't do that, so you shouldn't. How about you worry about you? Quit being so quick to judge everybody around you and so quick to question, well, how can they be a Christian and do this or do that? We would never dream of doing such a thing in our home. It is a trick of the devil to get you focused on how others live and to compare your righteousness to them. Well, I would never. How can they? It's a trick because no matter how clean you live and how perfect you're living it, without the Holy Ghost, you will in no wise enter in. Think about this for a second. Let this settle home. Their standards and yours may be totally different. Yours may be stricter and holier, and they be born again and you not. Brother Brown says, and the legalist says, I've got to do this, and I must do this, and I must do that. Then if you're not born again, you're still not saved. So there you are. He says, what you are, what Calvinism is, what grace is, is what God did for you. But what works is, is what you do for God in appreciation of what he did for you through grace. That's the whole answer. Now listen to this. Then if I'm saved, then I will live like I'm saved. But I could live like I'm saved and not be saved. See? So it's the fact then brings it to this spot, he says, we must be born again. We must be born again. 
Paul, speaking in Philippians 3, tells us, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He says, I got more to boast about than any of y'all. There's nobody can lay a finger on me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Hebrew of Hebrews, Israelite on both sides. I mean, his father and his mother were Pharisees from one generation to another. Excuse me, Israelites. Acts 23, he says, I am a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. Taught according to the perfect manner of the law. Paul was blameless. You couldn't accuse him of one shortcoming by anyone according to the word. And yet Paul said, I count all that as dung that I might win Christ. Three and nine says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's my expectation. That's what I want. Do I want a holy life? Yes. Do I want an overcoming life? Yes. But how am I going to get it? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him the way they knew him on the day of Pentecost. I don't want our expectations to fall. But we need the new birth. We need the Holy Ghost. We're looking. What is my expectation? My expectation is a rapture. My expectation is victory. My expectation is a body change. My expectation is overcoming lives. How? How, Brother Aaron? How are we going to do it? He says, you're not, little bride. I am. I'm going to come. I'm going to give you the new birth. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to give you the token. I'm going to move the way I always did. I'm going to deliver you. That is the expectation of the bride. That is my expectation. Will you stand together with me tonight? The Pharisees weren't wrong until they rejected the word manifested. They were right. They were righteous. They were holy. They were called. They were Abraham's seed. Now let this sink in. But the new birth wasn't as important to them as being called and chosen. They didn't feel the need. It wasn't as important as being a message believer. They held to the written word over the fulfillment of it. Look, I get happy when I think about the fact that it's not what I can do. That it's not the life I have to live. That it's not him up there going, well, he did this wrong today. and he, I'm glad it's not my goodness. I'm glad it's all on him. I say, let it go tonight. Let go of what you think you have to control. Let go of everything you think you have to do and just wrap yourself in the grace of God. Wrap yourself in his righteousness tonight. Wrap yourself in the new birth. Listen, this don't make it harder. This makes it so much easier. I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it. He said, I got this. He said, I'll take care of you. Listen, there isn't one building, one person in this building better than another. There isn't one life here worthy of going to heaven. Which means every life here is worthy of going to hell. But he said, I'll make a covenant. And he made a covenant. And there at Calvary, he was torn apart. And in the old days, what they would do is they would stand between the, the beast that had been torn apart and they would take a piece of paper. They would write the covenant on it and they would tear it and he would get one half and I would get one half. And then to prove that we had the covenant and that we were of the covenant, when I came with my piece, he had to have the other piece. And they had to dovetail together perfectly. And on that day, 
He was, he was torn apart and his body went back into heaven. But the other piece was sent down to you, the Holy Ghost. And on that day when he comes down, he says, it's rapture day. It's body change day. I'm coming for a bride. He's going, I'm looking for the other piece. I'm looking for the other piece. There it is. He's got the piece. He's got the piece. And he's got the piece. And she's got the piece. They've got the piece. They're the other part. That's the token. They are the covenant people. Oh, I'm not calling you Pharisees tonight. I'm saying don't be like them. Don't rest in that. Don't lower your expectations. My expectation is I've got the other piece. I've got the token. And if you don't got it tonight, get the other piece. He's coming for somebody. He's going to say, show me the covenant. Show me the covenant. Show me the token. There's my life. There's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come on, little bride. Enter into the joys of the Lord. That is my expectation. God bless you tonight.
tonight father we love you lord we want to worship you tonight jesus hallelujah hallelujah When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's a word That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is it not what you have required? You search much deeper within And through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship Where it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord 
I'm 
Oh, my. 